I'd like for you to take the Word of God, please, and turn to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And uh, Exodus chapter 6, I tell you, listen to a song like that, uh, that almost makes you want to change what you preach, you know. And um, uh, anyway, it'll help you how you preach, it'll help you how you hear the preaching. When you start to think about all that we've got to be thankful for. Oh, so many good things, and this, uh, this message is going to fit well uh, with that song, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe God just knows what he's doing, and the song fits well with the preaching. And uh, so Exodus chapter 6 this morning, and starting in verse number 1, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. And uh, again, this Thanksgiving Sunday, and a great day uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Every, every Sunday really is, but uh, uh, this time of year is a wonderful time of the year that we can really uh, be reminded to not, uh, to not go with the natural tendency toward, our, uh, toward the direction of um, discontentment, you know. There's a... Uh, Pay too close of attention what's going on in the world, or um, pay too close attention to the uh, flyers that are sent out, Black Friday flyers. You start to get a little covetous, you know, and discontent with what you have. So uh, it's a good good thing to have an opportunity to just rehearse some of these things that we're thankful for. Wow, you know, and uh, that's a great song uh, for for that occasion. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. By my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm uh, thankful uh, this morning for all the reasons that were rehearsed in that song. Uh, And Father, I'm thankful that I know you. I I know you by your name. And I'm glad, Father, that you and thankful that you might know my name. And the Lord help us today, help me, to effectively communicate those wonderful promises which you've made known to me and opened my understanding. And I pray that you'd open the understanding of these and Lord, that you'd help us to be tremendously encouraged by what we uh, hear and see today in thy word. And Lord, as I find is true so often, uh, as I stand to break the bread of life, help me to know what needs to be said and what doesn't. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 1, I've actually just been reading through this in my devotion time, and, and so it happened that uh, the Lord put this message in my heart and was reading about it in my devotions. In uh, Exodus chapter 6 verse 1, God is, is silencing the complaints of Moses. Now Moses 
was really at his wit's end. And I think in his humanity, and there's no way, I'm speculating here. I'm, I can't back this up with Scripture, but I'm, I, I really have to believe that Moses, where he was in his life at this point, was probably waiting, <laughs> rather than go, go back to Egypt. And to make matters worse, he was really at a loss what to do. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, read the chapters previous to this at some other time, and you'll kind of I, maybe come to the same conclusion. Things were about as bad as they possibly could be. Uh, Pharaoh was at the height of his pride, and Israel was in the depth of their misery. I mean, just things were as bad as they probably could be. And uh, I know this, I know this, that at this point, as Moses is communing with the Lord, he knew about God. Moses knew about God. He was a, he was a proud son of Abraham, a Jew, a, a direct product of the providential hand of God that allowed him to grow up in Pharaoh's household with his own mother as his nursemaid. After an attempt had been made um, to destroy all the baby boys in his generation. And so Moses knew about God. I don't think there's any arguing that. But in Exodus chapter 6, God announces to Moses that he was going to know God in a way that even, this kind of baffles me in a way, but God said that he was going to know God. Moses was going to know God even in a way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had not known him. Look at first, uh, number 1 of chapter 6. Now thou shalt see what I will do. Verse number 2, God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now when God said that in verse number 2, he was reminding Moses that he is the self-existent eternal one and he does not lean upon anything in creation. Rather, all of creation leans upon him. And he wanted Moses to lean upon him as well. Not just to know about him, but to really know him. And so in verse number 3, he said, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. Now, make no mistake, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew, God, knew about God. I mean, in, in the book of James, uh, the book of James calls Abraham the friend of God. It says he talked with God, he conversed with God. Abraham was the friend of God. We know from uh, the story of, of Jacob that Jacob wrestled with God. So those men knew God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God. But God was going to reveal himself to Moses by another name. Look at the second half of verse number 3. It says, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. That's a, that's a hard thing to wrap our little minds around, isn't it? I mean, we know the story of uh, stories of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, but God said, Moses, you're going to know me in a way that not even Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob knew me. And I think it's a, of eternal significance that the word Jehovah is used here in chapter 6 and verse number 3. It, it is the first use of the word Jehovah in Scripture. And to use, and there's other translations that use another name for God there, but to use another name for God in the place of Jehovah there in Exodus 6.3 creates confusion. We know that God is not the author of confusion. The Bible is God's complete revelation of, his, of himself to man. Did you, you know that, right? The Word of God, the Bible, is God's complete revelation of himself to man. This includes three things. 
We believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is the inspired Word of God. It is God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is God-breathed. God wrote these words. He used men to write them just as an artist would use a paintbrush to paint a picture, or an author would use a, uh, a pen or a pencil to write, or maybe a, a laptop now. Um, God used men to write his words. He plugged into them and breathed through them his words, and they wrote those words as the Holy Spirit of God moved them. So we have God's complete revelation of himself to man. We believe that these, this book is the word of God uh, by inspiration, by preservation as well. The word of God was not recorded in the English language. It was recorded in the Hebrew, Aramaic uh, languages and also the Greek. And so uh, we not only believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, but it also includes the preservation of the scriptures, the word of God it says in Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, uh, tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, from, uh, from this generation. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so we believe that the God who is powerful enough to give man his word was powerful enough to preserve his word and even to preserve it into the English language. We believe that. It doesn't stop there either. We also believe that the God who is powerful enough to give man his word, to reveal himself to man, to preserve his word to different people groups through different generations is powerful enough to illuminate his word. And that the Holy Spirit of God has the power to open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. And so uh, the Bible, again, is God's complete revelation of himself to mankind. Now, somebody has said that there is a common theme that runs through the Bible. They've called it a common thread. And that red, it's a scarlet red thread of redemption. Uh, they've also said, the same person also said that there's a, another theme, a golden thread of Christ's imminent return that is woven throughout the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, there's a common theme, a scarlet thread of redemption. And that's what we're talking about here as we approach this book of the Bible, as we look at the story of the nation of Israel, as we see what God is talking about here as he speaks to Moses and says to Moses, by my name Jehovah, you're going to know me, Moses. And it's a, it's a story of redemption. And uh, redemption or to redeem means to buy back, to deliver, to, to liberate or to rescue from captivity to rescue from bondage or obligation or liability. And in Exodus chapter 6, God announces to Moses who he is and what he is going to do. It's a marvelous picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ reveals who he is and what he can do. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that he is able to save them, to deliver them, to redeem them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
And so we're talking about that scarlet thread of redemption, that, that everything that is recorded in the Word of God has that common theme of the redemption that Christ was going to bring eventually from this time forward going through the book of Exodus and on into the New Testament. We see these, these things of redemption that are played out in the life of the nation of Israel and we draw a parallel to them and how that Christ has redeemed us unto himself. How that we uh, who live under a new covenant, under the age of grace, can know God in the same way that Moses knew God. We can know God in a, in a way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't necessarily know God back then. We can know God in a way that not even the angels can understand. They dwell in the presence of God. It's an amazing thing. And a thing to be thankful for, that we could know God by His name, Jehovah, by His redemption. I look at chapter 6 and verse number 6, where the Lord told Moses, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Israel was under uh, the burden of Egypt. The Egyptians were taskmasters. If you look at verse number 7 in chapter 3, Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Now, in the word of God, the, Egypt is a type of this world. And the, the nation of Israel was under the, the burden of a taskmaster, the, the Egyptians, their taskmasters. And again, the, the word of God, Egypt is a type of this world. And think about how that applies to us and the parallel that we can draw there in seeing that we're under the, uh, the burden of this world, aren't we? Um, the things of this world are an oppression to our hearts. That's one of, one of the wonderful things about gathering with the, the local assembly of saved, scripturally baptized believers. We can get away from that for an hour, you know? But I, in this world, we're, we're oppressed. It's a burden in this world. As a matter of fact, that's why we're told in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15, not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. I think about what Paul instructed Timothy, the pastor at the church at Ephesus. He said, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Why? Because this world is a burden. It's oppressive. We're under the burden of this world, and only God can deliver us from that burden through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God said to Moses, I'll bring you out. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way. He said, I, I'm the way out. I'm the way out of this, this burden, this oppression that you face in this world. I, uh, and so I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God said, I'll bring you out. God said in, in uh, verse uh, 6 of chapter number 6, Exodus 6, He said, I'll rid you out of their bondage. The Jews were in the land of Egypt living a life of bondage. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 14, the Word of God says, And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein uh, they made them serve was with rigor. They're in, they're in bondage. 
You know, I thought about that too in the parallel that's drawn there through that scarlet thread of redemption, how that before Christ we're under the bondage of sin. You know, we're slaves to it. Without Christ, we are slaves to sin. The Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote under the divine inspiration of God in Romans 7, 14, he said, I am carnal, sold under sin, sold like a slave on an auction block. You know? We're slaves to, slaves to sin by by our nature, we've got a bend in us. And it's not a bend towards righteousness, it's a bend towards unrighteousness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's so wicked we can't even know how desperately wicked it is. I think one of the greatest misconceptions in this world is that every one of us is born in God's image. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And it's true that the first man and the first woman were created in God's image, but they ruined that. By their fall. And the truth is we're born in Adam and Eve's uh, likeness, sinful likeness. Adam begat a son, Genesis 5, verse number 3. His third son, Seth, was born in his own likeness after his image. And he called his name Seth. We're sinners by nature because we're born into it. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And so we're slaves to sin by nature. We're born into it. We've got a natural, uh, I guess an unnatural bend towards it. Wasn't the way God intended it, but it's the way it is. We're slaves to sin by practice because we would rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season than to miss out on all that we perceive a sin has to offer. Now, here's the truth. Sin is pleasurable for a season. I mean, that's the God's honest truth, is it not? I mean, I think we would all have to agree because of that, that natural sinful bend in us. Sin is fun for a little while. You know, when Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and bit into that, I'll bet it was good. It was, it was something that she saw as something that was desired to be looked upon and desired to be taken and eaten. And she thought it was so good, she offered it to Adam. Adam, you've got to try this. It was a pleasure of sin. And it was fun. Until God showed up. Whoa. Eve, grab me some of them fig leaves over there. God's here. We're slaves to sin by practice because we'd rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season than to miss out all that we perceive it has to offer. And all it really leads to is emptiness and fear and oppression and bondage. God said this. He said that he'll deliver us from the slavery of sin. Go back to Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 6. He said, I will redeem you with the stretched out arm. Redemption or to redeem means to, to buy back, to deliver, to liberate, or to rescue from captivity, bondage, obligation, or liability. And God promised to deliver Israel out of Egypt, and He did. He did. And we find that in Numbers uh, chapter 33 and verse number 3, it says, They departed on the 15th day of the first month. Now, we might think that means the 15th day of January, but the Jewish calendar is different. It would be the 15th day of on our calendar, be the 15th day of October. 
on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of the Egyptians. So God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem you with a stretched out arm. God, God preserved them through that Passover night. And he brought them out. He delivered them out of Egypt. He did it. They departed on the 15th day of the first month. You know, God is in the redemption business. Each of us needs to be redeemed. We, the reason we need to be redeemed is because we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loved us enough to buy us back with the blood, not this time out of Egypt with the blood of a, of a precious lamb, but by the blood of His own precious Son. He loved us so much. He bought us back with the blood of his, his own Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't help but think if He was willing to come to us as a Savior like that, we ought to be willing to go to Him like the sinners we are. It's our choice whether or not we're going to go to Him. And it's not an intellectual choice. Either way, it's not an intellectual choice. It's a choice of the heart. From the heart, we're going to decide if I'm going to go to God. With a heart, man believeth unto righteousness. There's three elements to biblical faith. We've talked about this before. There's knowledge. You've got to know what it says. So uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to have a knowledge of what the Word of God says. The second element of biblical faith is conviction. Yep, I believe that's true. When I see in the Word of God, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I'm one of those. And then the third element of biblical faith is trust. And every one of us, here's the, I had a phone conversation with a young man who's really crossed the line and, and so many different ways. And now he's wishing he hadn't. See the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, now he's, he's opened himself up to some things that he wished he never had. Now he wants to change. And I had this very conversation with him on the phone. Christ is the one to change, that can bring the change. He said, I want out of this darkness. I said, then you've got to go to the light. Every one of us is going to believe something. I don't care what it is, what you believe. You're going to believe something, and you're going to believe it one of three ways. You're either going to believe it because somebody else told you that's the way it was. You're going to believe it because that was your own personal experience. Or there's a third way. Here's the problem with believing what, what somebody else tells us. Words of men are, men are unreliable. They change. Here's the problem with believing what has happened to us in our own experience. Experience varies. And we might be fooled by our experience. It may not be the whole picture. And so to, to, to base authoritative truth, what we believe on what other people have said and upon what we have experienced is, is inadequate. It's not, it's not, it's not reliable. But then there's a third thing that People can base what they believe, and that is the Word of God. We talked about that last Sunday morning. And from the heart, we're going to make a decision. 
one way or the other. And we're going to either base that decision on what somebody has told us, what we have experienced ourselves, or we can base our decision on, uh, on what the Bible says about it, about the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say about anything, really. If we'll go to him, he has said that he will redeem us with a stretched out arm. Now, a lot of people have this idea that God is like an old man sitting in heaven on a throne with a fistful of lightning bolts, just waiting for somebody to step out of line. But that's not God's character at all. God said to Moses that he was going to redeem them with a stretched out arm. Now, that doesn't sound like a angry God to me. That sounds like a God who wants to wants people to know him by his name Jehovah. I thought of this verse and the appeal that we hear coming from God through the prophet Isaiah, come now let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now does that sound like a God who's afar off? Does that sound like a, a God who says, come and find me? It sounds to me like a God who has his, his arms stretched out to all humanity and says, come on. Come on. I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm. Look at verse number 7 of chapter number 6. He said, I'll take you to me for a people. God lifted Israel up out of the muck and mire of the Egyptian slime pits and made a mighty nation out of them. Do you know that? Hey, you might look at Israel and say, well, you know, things aren't going so well for them these days. God's not done with Israel yet. So God takes them up out of the muck and mire of the Egyptian slime pits. They mentioned it in the song. I, uh, there's a line in the song they sang about setting our feet on the rock. And when we're redeemed, the same God lifts us up out of the muck and mire of the world and it's sin and he sets our feet upon a rock, the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 40, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. Then on top of it all, he wants us to know that we have been redeemed. Isn't that amazing? God wants us to know that we've been redeemed. Did you hear me? God wants us to know that we've been redeemed. You see, this is the record. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's what he said in his word. He wants us to know. Now, I've talked to many people throughout the years. I said, do you know for sure that if you were to die today that you'd be in God's presence? And boy, most of the time, the answer I get back is, well, I hope so. My friend, God doesn't want you to hope so. He wants you to know so. On top of bringing us up and making us his own people and taking us up out of the muck and mire of this world, the slime pits of this world. He sets our feet on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And through that, He wants us to know that we've been redeemed. And on top of that, He wants us to know Him. Not just about Him. He wants to know us personally, intimately. What a great God. He wants us for His people. That's what He wanted from, from the creation of man. The, uh, you may have heard me say before, I, I read it somewhere and I thought I liked that, so I use it. But man was the pinnacle of God's creation. God didn't come down in the cool of the day to fellowship with the cows or with the chickens. He came to fellowship with man. And man rebelled against Him of his own free will and ruined that. And died inside, and that thing inside of Adam that allowed Adam to walk with God and worship God and fellowship with God died. And, and even at that, God, it wasn't like, oh, wow, that, I didn't expect that to happen. God knew it was going to happen. So from the foundation of the world, before he ever formed man of the dust of the ground, he had already had it all set up and planned that the lamb of God, would, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, would come and redeem mankind to himself. He had it all planned out. This illustrated in Genesis when, when man of his own free will broke a relationship with God and God was the one that came back and said, well, let me fix this. And he shed the blood of innocent animals and covered Adam and Eve so that they could be in the presence and fellowship with God. Trust in the Lord and be redeemed that way. It's an amazing thing. God said, I will take you to me for a people. God, can I give you a principle that you can live by? When you feel alone, you feel discouraged, you feel like nobody loves you. Remember this, God loves you personally. You know, that's true for even the unsaved. That's true for every human being. God loves you personally. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. He just loves you. And He wants to, work, wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to worship Him. He wants you to know Him. God said, I'll bring you out. I'll rid you of bondage. I will redeem you. I will make you mine. Look at chapter 6, verse number 7. God said, I will be to you a God. Just as He wanted to be a God in Israel, God wants to be our God. He wants a personal relationship with each of us. He wants us to choose of our own free will to make Him our Father. And He doesn't force us into it. He doesn't force us into it, but that's what He desires. By the way, if we have truly believed on and in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we'll not go on living as if God does not exist. Just as easily as we trusted Christ as our Savior, we ought to surrender to Him as our Lord. He'll be our God. You see the sequence there of what He said before? He said, I will take you to me for a people. and He wanted that reciprocated back. and He said, I'll be to you a God. Why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. So He wants 
be our God. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 8. I'll bring you into the land, the land that God spoke about here was the land of Canaan. Uh, that was the land that was promised by God to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. A lot of people have the misconception that, that it is. Crossing Jordan doesn't, isn't a picture of, of crossing over into heaven. There's songs that are written about that. They're probably in our songbook, but that's not what it is. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. They still had battles to fight in Canaan. When we get to heaven, there will be no more battles to fight. Canaan is a picture of victorious Christian living. There's another day when he takes us to himself and he becomes to us a God. We become the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful day. But you know there's another day. A day when we enter into the land of victorious Christian living. Sometimes we live as if we're defeated in the wilderness of this world. Now, don't misunderstand. There are battles for every believer to win, and by God's grace and mercy, they can be. But remember this, we fight from victory, not for it. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God spoke of Canaan, Land was promised to God by Abraham, Isaac, by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, "I'll bring you into unto in, the land." He did. You know, if we'll if we'll let him, God will bring us into victorious Christian living. Look at this in uh, chapter six, Exodus six, verse number eight. I will give it you for an heritage. Our text, Exodus six, tells us a bit about Israel's history, but it is also a picture of of the salvation and heritage of the person who places their faith in Christ alone as a relationship with God in time and a home in His presence for eternity. God said to them, uh, to Moses, I will give it you for an inheritance. Jesus said in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God gave these promises in our text, to, to the nation of Israel. But they're the same promises that he gives to those who will place their faith and trust in Christ alone. I will bring you out. I will rid you of bondage. I will redeem you. I will make you mine. I'll be to you a God. I'll bring you into the land. I'll give, give it you for an heritage. Those are promises of salvation that we can have. Salvation and beyond. Christ, victorious Christian living. We can know God that way. He desires for us to know Him that way. And by revealing Himself as Jehovah, God changed the lives of the household of Israel. God changed them. Bob Jones, Sr., I, you know, I don't agree with everything he said, but I thought this was good. He said, a God that has not changed your life has not saved your soul. Here's the difference. If a person only knows about God, they miss having a relationship with Him and a home in His presence for eternity. 
So to claim the promises of redemption that we find in the Word of God, we must know God, not just about Him. That means we have to have a relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way to have a relationship with God is to place our faith in Christ alone as our only hope for that relationship and the home of His presence for eternity. That's it. Now the question this morning for invitation is simply this. Do you just know God or know about God or do you know Him by His name? Do you know Him by the promises that He has made? Have you claimed these things for your own life? Have you trusted in Christ alone as your only hope of relationship with God and home in His presence for eternity? That's the invitation this morning. Do you know Him? And if you know Him, maybe you know Him for salvation. Do you know Him as your Lord? Maybe you've already trusted as Christ as your Savior. Do you know Him as Lord? Have you allowed Him to bring you into the land? Has there, has there been that other day where you crossed over into victorious Christian living? And if, if there's been that day of salvation, very well could be. You're sitting here this morning, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. There's been that day. I mean, my personal testimony is this. There was a day that I can remember. I decided, you know what? I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Kind of that idea. That, that I'm tired of... of as a child of God, I'm tired of living like a child of the devil. And there was a day about March of, in March of 1993 when I was at the end of my rope and I just decided this is it. I'm all done playing around. I stopped playing church and I stopped playing Christian and I crossed the line. And, and sure, there's battles still for me to fight in the Canaan land when I crossed over Jordan into victorious Christian living. Yes, there's things I have to face and I feel like the Apostle Paul when he said those things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do them. Those things I know I'm not supposed to do, those things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I fall down and I get up and I fall down and I get up. But there was a day when I said enough's enough. I'm going to stop playing around trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Try to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and avoid the consequences. There was a day. I can't explain it to you other than to say there was a day. And I yet battle in the land of Canaan. You know, in the land of victorious Christian living, day by day, moment by moment. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Have you had a day when you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Have you had a day when you crossed over and said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm done playing Christian. I'm done playing church. And very well could be there's somebody sitting here today that has the same testimony. that Yes, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior. And yes, I'm all done playing church. And you might just be one who comes during invitation time and say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace in my life. 
Maybe there's a, you know, you're battling hard. You've got a, a hard battle going on right now. Yeah, you, you've been saved. You crossed over in victorious Christian living, but you're battling something right this moment. Spirit of God's dealing with you. However, Lord, leads you. Would you respond today to that? Mrs. Knopf is going to play a hymn of invitation. Well, I'm so thankful that God wants us to know him. And that's the plea really today. That, that we would know God. Not, know God as, as our Savior. Know God as our, as our Lord. To know that. And to thank him for it, you know. Whatever the case might be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, piano's playing. Invitation's been given. Come to Christ. Let him be your Savior. God's reaching out to you right now. He wants to be a Savior to you. He wants you to cross over into victorious Christian living. Why don't you you cross over there today? Have Have that other day that Hebrews talks about. We finally surrender to God once and for all. Not that everything's perfect, but not that all the battles have been won, but that we just decide, this is it, I'm done playing. Get real with God. Let him be real with us right this moment.